Welcome to the Duet Partner Podcast. I think it's scary for a lot of teachers to talk about deductions and to talk about what that all means. Well, today we are talking about those scary things with Kelly Reardon. Kelly wasn't always an expert in studio management. She started out as a self-taught clarinetist and had a thriving studio. But she did always have side jobs that gave her experience in marketing and finance. And with COVID, she put that additional experience to work when she started consulting music teachers on how to most effectively run their studios. Today, Kelly's going to share some detailed advice on how to show initiative in maximizing tax benefits. So my uh, first instrument was actually piano. And I started when I was, I think, about four years old. The expectation on my mom's side of the family was that everyone was a musician. And part of that was because our matriarch, my grandmother, was a phenomenal French horn player and played with the Springfield, Illinois Symphony for several years. So it stopped. I mean, when she had kids, she definitely hit pause. I think she sold the French horn at a point to uh, oh. take care of the farm. But she had five kids and she was very busy. So that, that became a yeah. priority. But she really instilled a love of music in all of us. So she was my idol growing up. I wanted to be just like her. So I called her at age eight and said, I want to start a second instrument and it's going to be French horn. And she sweetly laughed, <laughs> <laughs> said, oh, honey, you're far too small. <laughs> I was like, maybe 70 pounds. I was an absolutely tiny child. And she goes, yeah. there's no way you're going to get a sound out. Why don't you try clarinet instead? Interesting. So I did. Um, and my mom brought home a bunch of those like old instructional VHS tapes from yeah. the music store. And I was obsessed. I think it was like two or three weeks nonstop of me sitting in the basement watching them and rewatching them and playing. And finally, she's like, we have to get you a teacher because it's good, but it's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> you got to fix the best <laughs> if you like it that much. Um, so yeah, I, I studied with the same teacher for about eight years, uh, Val Wisniewski. She's based in Heartland, Wisconsin. Phenomenal clarinetist. One of the best influences on my life I ever could have possibly have imagined. And my junior year of high school, she kind of shoved me out of the nest and pushed yeah. me to study with the principal clarinet for the Milwaukee Symphony, Todd Levy. I stayed with him for my undergrad, and then he referred me to D.A. McClellan at Georgia for a master's program. So I, I stayed in the same studio they had studied together at Juilliard. Interesting. Yeah, I love I that's love the short that's version. Really, yeah, no, I love the the self the self taught introduction to it, and that that and um, yeah, just I can see you just in your basement, you know, just watching VHS tapes. That's oh, fantastic on repeat. Yes, yeah. my poor parents. <laughs> yeah. So I lo- and I also love that family history element to it because a lot of times I would think you know, with an instrument like the clarinet, it might be a band or a school mm-hmm. experience, right? That, that introduces them to the clarinet. So were you classically focused? Did you do band in school? I did. And band didn't start until fifth grade. So I was about two years ahead of the, ahead of the curve on that one, um, mm-hmm. just because I was so enthusiastic that I, I didn't want to wait for band class. So by the time I got to band, I was two years into my music instruction. So I kind of became everyone else's teacher right away. Totally the star (laughs) of the band. Our our band director was a trumpet player. So there was like, you know, 10-year-old me in the front row coaching all my friends. And my best friend, uh, who is still my best friend, um, Shannon sat next to me and wasn't really nearly as into clarinet as I was, but (laughs) she stayed because it was fun for us to to do it together. And um, she, I think all the way through about freshman year of high school, it was the two of us sitting next to each other and I was constantly teaching her all the things that I had just learned. So a little dynamic duo. It was, it was a ton of fun, but I really liked 
having that role. I, I liked being the teacher. I felt you know needed among my classmates and I felt really supportive and I loved that. So it was a fun experience to have that opportunity. And um, I think that was probably part of why I looked for more chances to play. It felt yeah. really important in the ensemble and I really appreciated that. Did you know at that time, I mean, were those feelings, uh, did you identify them as feelings of wanting to teach and to wanting wanting to have your own studio eventually? You know, I at the time I didn't. And I it really took me a long time actually to figure out that teaching was what I wanted to do. In high school, I had an internship at the Waukesha County Conservatory of Music, which is where I had started my own lessons actually. And when they approached me and asked me to come come on board, it was for some like merchandising and sales, but it was really that they were looking for younger students who would go out into the community and do organic outreach for them. So my job was to find chances to go out and you know, be at festivals, for example, Kids Fests, and do instrument trials and talk to people and help them you know, figure out maybe that there is an instrument that they would want to start or that they could start instruments earlier than, than just being in class in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that for a couple summers and during the school years working behind the desk and selling clarinets and selling reeds. Yeah, um, yeah. But part of that, the, the conservatory had a music store in the front of it, um, which later changed hands, but the conservatory stayed with the same owners. The conservatory, though, is all independent teachers. So they aren't employees. It's all individual studios that rent a space there. And then they they sort of have a receptionist. It's like the owner will will field phone calls and emails and kind of pass off leads to people. But most of those leads just come direct to the teachers through their websites. So I would take those phone calls in high school when someone was looking for a piano teacher. And, you know, I had been gone, I'd gone through some training on what to ask and, and what was important in a student-teacher relationship. And I would help make referrals, you know, give them two or three names of people that I thought they should look into. But I knew all of those teachers. I'd grown up around them. So I felt really comfortable doing that. Um, it was It was really helpful to have that picture of what worked for the teachers and what those relationships did need to look like in order for them to be successful. But even at that point, I was like, I'm going to be perform. I don't don't want to teach. I'm going to be a performer. You know, I think there's probably a part of all of us that feels that way when we're younger. Yeah. And then we got into school and realized what the, uh, the performance schedule looked like and I was no longer as interested. You know, I wanted to have family and um, weekends and uh, it kind of took me by surprise a little bit. It shouldn't have, but it did. So I pulled back a little bit and started teaching more when I was in school. I think my first student was when I was like 16. Um, But I taught a lot in college and grad school. And then when I left, I started a full-time studio. Wonderful. And you've pivoted recently to a sort of another endeavor. So tell us about that. Yeah, that was a complete accident of a a new endeavor. But I, in addition to teaching in, in undergrad and grad school, I worked the entire time that I was in school. Um, I put myself through school more or less. My parents helped where they could, but you know, a little headstrong, self-taught clarinet player, uh, (laughs) you know, pretty pretty driven to do that on my own, and that was something I took pride in. So I worked a lot, and all of my jobs in school were in marketing. I did organic marketing for brands like Red Bull, for Cadillac, American Express, Anheuser Busch. Um, Did some for some smaller companies too in the area, but. A lot of my my experience was in this kind of event based, you know, find opportunities to go into the community and spread the word about about these brands and you know do giveaways or collect information and 
talk to random strangers on the street. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was forced into that pretty early, but I loved it. And when I started my studio, I basically took all those same principles and applied them. You know, how can I just find people with I don't want to pay for ads, I don't want to have some big fancy schmancy website. You know, my husband can build a really good website as a digital marketer, but I wanted to do it myself. So yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't let him. But without investing a ton of funds, because I didn't have a ton of funds to invest, there's got to be a way that I could build a big studio. So I did. I, I focused a lot on this organic marketing. I built a lot of referral partnerships in my community with other teachers, homeschool co-ops. Uh, we built the studio to 43 students in two and a half months. It was fast. Wow. Um, most of those were clarinet, which, <laughs> you know, compared to piano, for example, yeah, much, much yeah. more difficult to build quickly, but it was great. And then that was fall 2019. So a few months later, you know, once I hit my, my full point, everything shut down and we went online. Yeah. Um, everyone came online with me. It was one of those situations where like, I have your money, you've already paid tuition. Here's the yeah. Zoom link. See you next yeah. week. And that was you know, kind of my expectation. And everyone did come online with me. Um, at that point, I had a wait list of about 17. So the one or two that just wasn't working for, I was able to, to maneuver it, it, other students in the studio. It was great. Yeah. But at that same time, a lot of my colleagues were not in the same position you know, for one reason or another. They had either um, been performing and they couldn't perform anymore. Uh, they had been teaching, but you know, it's, it's not going as well at that point. Maybe they had taken a break. They didn't want to teach online. Right. So I started helping where I could and just answering questions or trying to help some referrals their way if someone on my wait list could maybe fit someone else's studio. And it really took on a life of its own. I mean, by June of 2020, people were calling me that I'd never met before and said, well, hey, I know you were helping so-and-so. Can I have your help too? Um, I think it was August before I finally had someone sit me down and say, hey, you really should be charging for this. <laughs> like you're doing a lot of it. Maybe it's it's time to think about making this a business. So I, it, it's grown a lot in the last couple of years. I don't teach nearly as much as I used to. Uh, I want to make sure that this gets my, my attention as well. But yeah, right now I'm working with about 25 active clients and they're all over the world. And we build some really awesome studios with some really quality teachers, which brings a lot of joy. That is that. That's the same. It's the same sort of joy that I feel from from the work that we do at mm -hmm. Duet. So it's so exciting to um, hear that you're doing that as well. And not only that you're doing that as well, Kelly, but that you're actually going to be partnering with Duet. And we're so yes. excited to be um, welcoming you to our, our team, and so <laughs> grateful that we're going to have not just your musical and pedagogical expertise, but also all that marketing expertise and all that experience that you had. Um, in in those earlier years that you're making that you've really bridged and and are making um, part of your your life together now, so we're excited to have you. Um, and I will also mention that you have been a duet client okay. um, since starting your studio, so we're really excited and grateful about that. That you know our product so well, you know our customers, you are our customer. And we're just going to have a great partnership. So welcome to the team. Thank you. Very, very, very excited to be working with Duet Partner. You know, yeah. it's it's funny when my uh, when I first started my studio, I read on someone else's blog about Duet Partner. I had no idea these things existed. You know, I was fresh out of grad school trying to figure out what came next in my life. Yeah. And I read this fantastic blog by Diane Heidi. Uh, she does a lot of really good work on, on piano pedagogy. And she mentioned kind of in passing, like, oh, and I use this studio management software, and here's my referral link if you want to. And use it was it. Music Teacher's Helper at the time, I was And it was Music Teacher's yeah. Helper. And I was like, oh, 
this is fantastic. Like this is, you know, such a, such a big help. And I automated so many things for my studio and I really felt like it enabled me to grow faster because I wasn't stuck yeah. trying to build a website or trying to, you know, do all my invoicing and figuring out how to take checks and billing and taxes and all that crazy stuff. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the program. I'm really, really excited. Um, the changes that are coming, I'm excited about yeah. the updates. The rebranding has been fantastic. So very excited to be working with you guys more closely. Well, thanks. And we're excited today to tap into some of that that consulting knowledge that you have in a very timely subject, which is taxes and mm-hmm. preparing your materials for tax season. So um, I know that you you have spent time talking to your clients about this. Mm-hmm. What are some of the key principles that you share with them for your clients here in, in the United States specifically who are preparing for filing their taxes? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the bigger things that I think are important for everyone to know up front is that as an independent studio owner, you are most likely for everyone unless you've, you know, filed other other corporation other corporation uh, taxes and, and filings, you're most likely scheduling or filing a schedule C. My apologies. That schedule C can be from all of your teaching. So I know typically a lot of our teachers, they have some private studios um they may also work for another studio or they may have some performance or they might you know, be contracting with some schools, whatever that looks like. I think it's important to know that all of that information can go into one Schedule C. You don't have to file separate ones. Your entire teaching business is one business, even if you have your individual clients and a school client. But Schedule C filing also means full self-employment, which can be a little bit trickier. So it, it's, I think, scary for a lot of teachers to talk about deductions and to talk about what that all means. My rule of thumb that I've asked a lot of accountants about, and, and they all seem to agree with this as a, as a general baseline, is to plan for about 30% of your income to be saved for taxes. Okay. Because that's usually where people end up. Remember that you have your income tax as, a, as an independent teacher, but you're also filing and paying self-employment tax, which I think at present, when we're talking about this in February 2022, uh, that's about 15.8% in total. That's Social Security and Medicare tax that you're paying in addition to your income tax. So there's some nuances there. Not all of that, sorry, not all of your income tax liability gets that 15.8% applied to it. Um, It allows you to deduct half of it. So you're applying it to roughly 92% of of your income. but the deductions make a really big difference. So tracking your information, tracking what your expenses are, your studio rent, uh, your liability insurance, for example, those bigger areas where we can really invest quite a bit of funding into our businesses, that should all be tracked religiously. You know, I Personally, I use Duet Partner to do this. I dump all of my expenses in there. I've got my rent on a recurring basis in my expense report, so I don't have to worry about it as much. But setting aside you know, 15 minutes a month to try to keep track of everything and put your receipts into to a digital format can really make a difference so that you're not scrambling next spring to try to get all of your taxes together. You're whipping out all these receipts and they're faded. You can't yeah. read them anymore. Um, it can be really, really stressful. So planning not only to save the income, but also to save all of your evidence and documentation is really important. I love those two points. Okay. So, 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 Digging into that idea of how to stay organized and mm-hmm. on top of this, you're recommending you set aside 15 minutes each month to go through your expenses 
and mm-hmm. to keep track of those so that you can submit them as deductibles and save on that 30% that you should be setting aside each month for the end of the year tax um, absolutely tax payment. Yeah, absolutely. And a so lot talk of- a little bit. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, go talk for a it. Little, talk a little bit more about deductions. I mean, <sighs> where can somebody find out, oh, you know, which elements of running a studio they can deduct? Absolutely. So most of your home and business office expenses, those are usually your biggest deductions. And it's important to note that there can be personal deductions, things like the property tax that you're paying or or mortgage interest. Some of those can also qualify for deductions that are on your personal income tax. When we're talking about business deductions, though, these are things that you have invested into your business to help it grow, to help run it. The reason these are deductions is because it wasn't pure profit for you. You know, you didn't actually get to take that money and use it for personal use as, as income. This is money that went into your business and then went back out of your business to keep it running so that you could earn an income. The government allows deductions for those things because those are not only beneficial for the business and, and they keep you up and running, it's not fair to tax you on those things. But the other piece of this for, for the government is it's a stimulus to the other businesses. Right. If, if I have income and then I pay my studio rent, for example, that is supporting another business. So they, they put a little bit of an incentive essentially behind that on some deductions. On that note, there are some things that change from year to year based on where the government is emphasizing things. So one of the big changes for 2022, um, sorry, for filing for 2021 taxes in 2022, is that any time you went to a restaurant for travel or for purposes of entertainment of a client, and when I say travel, you have to travel for more than 24 hours. It has to be overnight. It can't just be like I went five hours north and I came right back. But anytime you travel overnight, if you were to eat in a restaurant, normally that's only a 50% business deduction. But as long as you actually sat down, had a waiter, ate in the restaurant, didn't do drive through or takeout for 2021 taxes, that is fully deductible at 100%. And the reason the government's doing that is they're trying to put stimulus in place for restaurants, right? 2021 was not an easy year on restaurants. They've really suffered in the last few years. So trying to incentivize business owners who hopefully have more income coming in because they are a business owner to then go out and spend that money and, and to help other businesses with that income. So that's the reason that a lot of those deductions are in place. Now, those things change rapidly. And I want to put the big gigantic disclaimer on this conversation that I myself am not a tax professional, I'm not an enrolled agent or a CPA, and I'm certainly not an, an attorney, but these are more anecdotal things I'm, I'm happy to share. What I highly recommend is finding a, a local enrolled agent or a CPA who knows all of these nuances so that you don't have to keep track of them all on your own. But if there's ever a question, and, and I have a fantastic relationship with my own enrolled agent that I, I use for all of our tax questions, when I travel or when I have something that I'm not sure of, I take pictures of all of the receipts. I log the ones I'm very confident in into do Web partner right away. And then the ones that I'm not so sure about, I usually send those those pictures of the receipts to her in an email and say, here were the circumstances, what can I do with it? Hmm. And I get is that it, final yes or no. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Is it possible for a music teacher to file his or her taxes without the help of an accountant? It obviously sounds advisable because mm-hmm. there are these things that an accountant knows that us normal people don't know. But is it possible? And if so, where would a person find these kinds of of deductions just um you know that are that are being communicated to the general public 
Absolutely. So a couple of really good resources. One is the IRS.gov website. It is obviously in the IRS's best interest to make this public knowledge. They do a really good job, honestly, on, on the government websites of outlining all of this. I I know from my own personal experience, at first it was scary to go there, to, to start looking at this information and try to figure it out myself. And I wanted that confirmation from someone that I was reading it correctly and, and what I was understanding was accurate. It's also important to note that because these things can change from year to year, it's not something that you just can assume that you know. So an easy thing to do is to Google 2021 changes in in tax deductions for small business. And you're going to find all of these incredible resources, um, websites like NerdWallet. That's a really, really popular one that pops up right away. And they will categorize all these things for you. And it's their job. And they have tax professionals that are doing this to break this down into layman's terms for most business owners. So you absolutely can use those websites and and use some of those resources. And then if there's something that you're not totally sure of, if you want to fact check it, go to the IRS.gov website and they have all that information readily available. You don't have to read the tax code to figure (laughs) a lot of these things out. Um, A lot of times you can find it, again, in layman's terms, really easily and, and well explained, either in an article or on some of the local government websites. They do a good job of those things. Nerd wallet. I haven't heard of that before, but we'll put yeah. that in the in the show notes. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely they've got something really I... good articles and it covers a lot of things. It's just a big financial blog. They cover a lot of topics and credit cards and things like that. Yeah. But they've got some great, some great resources there too. Um, um, on the note of filing your own taxes, though, it's absolutely yeah. possible. Also note that there's a standard deduction, right? For individuals this year, I think it was twelve thousand. Let me look before I say this wrong, 12550 for individual filing or 25100 for joint filing for 2021. So what that means is the government gives a, a blanket deduction amount. If you don't want to itemize all the deductions, which you don't have to, you can just take the standard deduction, which you would take the amount of income that you had, you would just deduct that amount from it, and then your income tax would be assessed on that portion of your tax liability. And then self-employment on that 92% of the income tax liability. If you don't want to worry about all the deductions, if you don't think you're spending more than $12,000 in your business every year, you don't have to worry about these things. It makes it a lot easier. It's very easy to file using like a TurboTax or one of the tax softwares. You can definitely do that independently. Exact amount of, you know, here's how much of that travel is deductible or here's how much of that trip was deduction because some of it was personal and some of it was business and how do you work out those small nuances. It leaves it to you to decide if you're going to itemize. Um, but again, if you're going to take the standard deduction, that doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Okay. So what I hear you saying is that if you don't think that you're going to spend more than $12,550 <laughs> on your business, and then it might not be worth doing all of that itemized deductions mm-hmm. because you might be comfortable taking that. It's obviously a lot more simple, streamlined part of the process to just accept that and, and move on. Um, so so for those who are spending more than about 12000 that's where you really want to take that more itemized approach. If you're doing it yourself, you, you can do it yourself and you can also use an accountant to help you maximize the, the deductions mm-hmm. from the receipts that you collected. Is that that's accurate? What yep, do you absolutely. recommend in finding an accountant that can help uh, a music teacher manage a small business? What should what should they be looking for in an accountant? So the first thing that I always recommend is that you find an accountant that's either an enrolled agent, an EA, or a CPA, a certified public accountant. 
There are a lot of tax preparers that are not going to fall in those categories. You can also use an attorney if you want. But let's say in the case that, worst case scenario, you were audited, okay? Only an attorney, an enrolled agent, or a CPA can actually represent you to the IRS. So if you are in an audit situation, the IRS can't communicate with another tax preparer on your behalf. That's something that changed fairly recently. I think it was about six years ago that that was changed. So what that means is, Having an EA or a CPA, sometimes that can be maybe a little bit more expensive, but in the case that you have communication or further issues with the IRS or if they find an error in your tax filing, someone else can still handle that for you and be in charge of that communication. You don't have to be the one necessarily hands-on handling that. So I highly recommend finding one of those individuals instead of just someone who is a, a bookkeeper, for example, feels comfortable filing taxes, can do that on your behalf. You can still hire those people, but they wouldn't be able to represent you in an audit. When you're looking for a recommendation, I highly recommend starting with any professional organizations in your area. Myself, I went to the Wisconsin Federation of Music Clubs and I went to the president and said, who does your taxes? (laughs) And he said, actually, it's the treasurer of our organization. She happens to be an enrolled agent and she's the one that does all my taxes. So now for the last few years, I've worked with Susan and she's fantastic. It was a great recommendation and she's been a lifesaver, not only to me, but to my clients. She answers a lot of questions for them too. Um, So, you know, most of my knowledge comes from just the consulting that I've done with her and, and getting her opinion and her input on things. The other thing that I think is really important uh, when you're looking for an enrolled agent or CPA is how involved they're willing to be in between tax filing. It was important for me to have someone that I could shoot off an email to or that I could just get on a call with and she would charge me an hourly rate for a few questions that I had. I wanted that level of involvement and support because I was terrified. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to make a mistake. The government can be scary. The IRS feels a little intimidating if you, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And so having someone that I could rely on to answer those questions was really helpful. So one of the first questions that I asked her was, outside of filing my taxes this year, what else can I expect or what else could I use you for? You know, are there other things that I could I could ask from you? And she said, absolutely. She would handle things like payroll if I ever wanted to hire. She would handle things like uh, training me on payroll if I didn't want to pay her to do it. And that was someone that I, I really valued. But it's up to it's up to individual teachers. Not everyone needs that level of handholding or wants that level of support. Uh, some people want more. You know, Susan doesn't go over my deductions individually unless I ask her to. At this point, she assumes that I'm relatively proficient in deciding myself what is a deduction and what's not. So she will look over things that I have a question on and she'll kind of review information for me, but she won't go through every single receipt and make sure that I had it exactly right. Um, You know, when someone's filing on your behalf, they're filing essentially saying that they're trusting the numbers that you gave them. So it's not their fault if, if you make a mistake on a deduction, for example. So it's important to decide how involved do you want someone to be in that process with you? And that comes a lot from discussing with other people and asking for their recommendations. It doesn't, by the way, have to be in the musician. You can absolutely ask other small business owners for recommendations who they like to use. But I've always liked using someone that happens to be a musician themselves because I think it really makes a difference in her knowing some of the small nuances of deductions that other people might not think of. Um, Depreciation schedules on instruments, for example, can be a big one. Is there anything, I mean, to that point, Kelly, is there anything that a, a music studio owner needs mm. to be aware of 
specifically for this industry and this business, apart from other kinds of small businesses? What what are some things that music teachers need to specifically be looking out for? One of the big things that a lot of us have is a home office. So maybe you rent a space, but a lot of teachers teach out of their homes. So there should be big deductions around that, depending on what you're paying in, in cost of rent or your mortgage, plus your utilities. Those should be factored in. So if you have a home office, I think a lot of times people will assume that they're not going to meet that standard deduction. But if you actually go through the process of doing the calculations and try to estimate, for example, I'll use an internet bill. A lot of us are using more of our internet for our business than ever before. A lot of us are teaching online. So if you look at your internet bill for a month and you think, well, there are three people in my household, so divide that in a third, so it's my my particular use. And then let's say that that leaves maybe $50 a month. That would be my cost, just as an example. Maybe half of that is personal use and half of that is business use. So I can deduct half of that $50 on a monthly basis, $25 a month times 12. That's just for the internet. And then we start looking at your phone bill, your electricity, any other utilities that you have. You actually get a deduction on housing costs based on the square footage relative to the square footage of the home that you live in or the apartment that you live in. So those deductions can add up really, really quickly. And for some of us, myself, for example, I have a home office that I'm in right now, but then I also have a studio space that I rent. And those are separate locations. That adds up really fast. I definitely always beat the standard deduction because Mm. I've got both of those um, working in my favor there. The other thing that can be really important for some music teachers is mileage. Uh, Small misconception, you can't deduct gas as a mileage deduction if you're going to take the standard mileage deduction, which... I think is somewhere in the area of like 55 cents a mile. Okay, so if you're driving to students' houses and you want to deduct your mileage, first of all, track it. And you can use to a partner to do that and, and log it all really easily, again, on a recurring basis, which is helpful. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're tracking that mileage so that you can figure out exactly how far you drove. That is already going to take into account for you wear and tear on the vehicle, estimated maintenance costs, and the cost of gas. So Some of those things you can't double up on. If you're going to take a standard deduction in some areas, then you can't deduct other information from that. Gas is a big one. Uh, One thing that I also like to mention is that any subscriptions that you're using, uh, things like Duet Partner, or if you're using Zoom, those can also be a deduction depending on your situation and and what that looks like. Uh, Again, ask your your EA or your CPA exactly for details on some of these things. Uh, And then a final one that I like to touch on is gifts. A lot of teachers will either provide gifts to their students, you know, around the holidays or prizes, um, or they'll do referral programs. You know, if you refer someone to me, I'll teach you a free lesson. It's important to note that a free lesson is not a deduction because in the eyes of the government, you're basically assigning an arbitrary value that no one ever paid on a, a service that you're providing and then try to deduct that amount. So if you gave a half an hour free lesson, that was not a deduction for you. What can be a deduction, though, is if you send them a gift card for Starbucks or something, if if you want to say thank you and you want to do it that way. Um, I know some teachers will do Visa gift cards and the amount of a free lesson that then that family could choose to use towards their lesson tuition or not. It's totally up to them. Um, You can also, you know, purchase a, a meal or something else for them, some other token of your gratitude. Those would be deductions because it was client appreciation and, and, and entertainment, essentially, in, in that category. 
But again, teaching a free lesson cannot be deducted. You weren't paid for it. There is no receipt. You can't just assign an arbitrary value to it. So helpful. Oh my goodness, Kelly. <laughs> and and I'm so excited that this is just the beginning of the wealth of knowledge that you're going to be sharing with our duet teachers. Really, really fantastic. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a, a a great introduction and touching, I, I feel like much more than an introduction to <laughs> to getting us all geared up for this tax season. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to share that I didn't touch on? I know I was kind of just, you know, asking some questions as they came to me. Was there anything that, that I missed or that you think we should include? You know, I, I think what I'll, I'll touch on really quickly is that this is a time of year when a lot of teachers are you know, looking back at last year's taxes and feeling a little stressed and, and also looking forward at this year thinking, how can I make sure I don't make any of this, maybe the mistakes that I made last year and keeping myself organized? Um, or how can I grow my studio because I'm looking at the income that I made last year and it just it wasn't where I wanted it to be? I would strongly advise that you take maybe a half an hour sometime in the next week to really assess where the breakdown happened last year, if you're worried about any taxes, you know, did I not save enough? Um, did I not log enough receipts? Maybe did I miss out on deductions that I'm hearing these things and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I actually could have been tracking all of this. And I, I really could have been maybe beating the standard deduction and saving a little bit of money on my taxes. And um, that opportunity was there and I just didn't know. So I didn't take it. Try to take some time this week and, and just kind of go through what your base on expenses are and estimate for yourself what you spent on your business last year. And then think about next year and, and this coming year in 2022. What do you want your studio to look like? You know, do you want to grow? Are there any areas that you'd like to invest in? Um, I know for myself personally, if I'm hovering around the standard deduction, if I think I might be a little low, um, it's actually a goal for me every year to invest in my business at least that much. If that's the expectation, I want to do better. You know, I want to find some way to to grow my business, and so. One of the things that a lot of my clients do is they invest in services like a duet partner or consulting services like myself or in their website or or something else that they can uh, put a little bit more behind to support their business so that if that deduction is going to happen anyway, why not make sure that it's actually growing your business? Um, And then set some goals for this year, not only in your your taxes, we're talking a lot about about that filing, but also in your marketing for this year. How many students do you want to have? Do you want to spend money to get those students? Do you want to grow organically? Um, My preference is always the organic growth if we can have it, but it's helpful to have those goals in mind so that you can really start this year on a really positive foot with a lot of great uh, motivation going forward and feeling a little more organized and in control of your business. To learn more about how Duet can be your digital partner in managing your music studio, visit duetpartner.com. And don't forget to rate this podcast on Apple and Spotify. We give monthly prizes to those who take the time to rate us on those platforms. Thanks.